Hello everyone, I'm Kathleen Pelly. Welcome to the special omnibus edition of Journey with Story, where you can listen to all of this month's episodes one after the other. And just so you know, there will be no special intro for the individual stories, no added details and no shout-outs. If you want to hear all of those, then you'll need to listen to the individual episodes and not this version. Got it? Oh, mums, dads, grown-ups, you can download some free colouring sheets at our website, www.journeywithstory.com. Let's take an omnibus journey with story. Now let's take a journey with a chapter from A. A. Milne's book in which Pooh and Piglet go hunting and nearly catch a woozle. The piglet lived in a very grand house in the middle of a beech tree and the beech tree was in the middle of the forest and the piglet lived in the middle of the house. Next to his house was a piece of broken board which had Trespassers W on it. When Christopher Robin asked the piglet what it meant, he said it was his grandfather's name and had been in the family for a long time. Christopher Robin said you couldn't be called Trespassers W. And Piglet said, yes, you could, because his grandfather was, and it was short for Trespassers Will, which was short for Trespassers William. And his grandfather had had two names in case he lost one. Trespassers after an uncle, and William after Trespassers I've got two names, said Christopher Robin carelessly. Well, there you are, that proves it, said Piglet. One fine winter's day, when Piglet was brushing away the snow in front of his house, he happened to look up, and there was Winnie the Pooh. Pooh was walking round and round in a circle, thinking of something else, and when Piglet called to him, he just went on walking. Hello! said Piglet. What are you doing? Hunting, said Pooh. Hunting what? Tracking something, said Winnie the Pooh very mysteriously. Tracking what? said Piglet, coming closer. That's just what I asked myself. I asked myself, what? Well, what do you think you'll answer? I shall have to wait until I catch up with it, said Winnie the Pooh. Now look there. He pointed to the ground in front of them. What do you see there? Tracks, said Piglet. Barks. He gave a little squeak of excitement. Oh, Pooh, do you think it's a, 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 a woozle? It may be, said Pooh. Sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. You never can tell with paw marks. With these few words, he went on tracking, and Piglet, after watching him for a minute or two, ran after him. 
Winnie the Pooh had come to a sudden stop and was bending over the tracks in a puzzle sort of way. What's the matter? asked Piglet. It's a very funny thing, said Bear. But there seem to be two animals now. This, whatever it was, has been joined by another, whatever it is, and the two of them are now proceeding in company. Would you mind coming with me, Piglet, in case they turn out to be... hostile animals. Piglet scratched his ear in a nice sort of way and said that he had nothing to do until Friday and would be delighted to come in case it really was a woozle. You mean in case it really is two woozles, said Winnie the Pooh. And Piglet said that anyhow he had nothing to do until Friday. So off they went together. There was a small spinney of larch trees just here, and it seemed as if the two woozles, if that is what they were, had been going round this spinney. So round this spinney went Pooh and Piglet after them. Piglet passing the time by telling Pooh what his grandfather, Trespassers W, had done to remove stiffness after tracking and how his grandfather, Trespassers W, had suffered in his later years from shortness of breath and other matters of interest. And Pooh, wondering what a grandfather was like, and if perhaps this was two grandfathers they were after now, and if so, whether he'd be allowed to take one home and keep it, and what Christopher Robin would say. And still... The tracks went on in front of them. Suddenly, Winnie the Pooh stopped and pointed excitedly in front of him. Look! What? said Piglet with a jump. And then, to show that he hadn't been frightened, he jumped up and down once or twice, more in an exercising sort of way. The tracks, said Pooh. A third animal has joined the other two. <gasps> Pooh! cried Piglet. No, said Pooh, because it makes different marks. It is either two woozles and one, as it might be, whizzle, or two, as it might be, whizzles and one. If so, it is woozle. Let us continue to follow them. So they went on, feeling just a little anxious now, in case the three animals in front of them were off. Hostile intent. And Piglet wished very much that his grandfather T.W. were there instead of elsewhere. And Pooh thought how nice it would be if they met Christopher Robin suddenly. But quite accidentally, and only because he liked Christopher Robin so much. And then, all of a sudden, Winnie the Pooh stopped again and licked the tip of his nose in a cooling manner, for he was feeling more hot and anxious than ever in his life before. 
there were four animals in front of them. Do you see, Piglet? Look at their tracks. Three as it were Woozles, and one as it was Wizzle. Another Woozle has joined them. And so it seemed to be. There were the tracks crossing over each other here, getting muddled up with each other there. But quite plainly, every now and then, the tracks of four sets of paws. I think, said Piglet, when he had licked the tip of his nose too, and found that it brought very little comfort, I think that I have just remembered something. I have just remembered something that I forgot to do yesterday, and shan't be able to do tomorrow. So I suppose I really ought to go back and do it now. We'll do it this afternoon and I'll come with you, said Pooh. Oh, it isn't the sort of thing you can do in the afternoon, said Piglet quickly. It's a very particular morning thing that has to be done in the morning, and if possible between the hours of... Oh, what would you say the time was? About twelve, said Winnie the Pooh, looking at the sun. Between, as I was saying, the hours of twelve and, and twelve five. So, so really, dear old Pooh, if you'll excuse me... What's that? Pooh looked up at the sky, and then as he heard the whistle again, he looked up into the branches of a big oak tree. And then he saw a friend of his. It's Christopher Robin, he said. Ah, then you'll be all right, said Piglet. You'll be quite safe with him. Goodbye. And he trotted off home as quickly as he could, very glad to be out of all danger again. Christopher Robin came slowly down his tree. Silly old bear, he said. What were you doing? First you went round the spinney twice by yourself and then Piglet ran after you and you went round again together and then you were just going round a fourth time. Oh, wait a moment, said Winnie the Pooh, holding up his paw. He sat down and thought, in the most thoughtful way he could think. Then he fitted his paw into one of the tracks, and then he scratched his nose twice and stood up. Yes, said Winnie the Pooh. I see now, said Winnie the Pooh. I have been foolish and deluded, said he, and I am a bear of no brain at all. Oh, you're the best bear in all the world, said Christopher Robin soothingly. Am I? said Pooh hopefully, and then he brightened up suddenly. Anyhow, he said, it's nearly luncheon time. So he went home for it. Now, let's take a journey with How the Monkey Got a Drink When He Was Thirsty, a folktale from Brazil. 
Once upon a time, the monkey made the tiger very angry. This is how it happened. The monkey was seated high up among the leafy branches of a mango tree, playing upon his guitar. The tiger passed that way and lay down under the tree to rest. Just to tease him, the monkey played and sang this little song. Tango tita, tango tita, the tiger's bones are in my guitar. The tiger was very angry. Just wait until I catch you, Mr. Monkey, he said. Then I'll show you a trick or two with bones. The monkey leaped from one tree to another, keeping himself so well hid by the foliage that the tiger could not see him. Then he came down out of the trees and hid himself in a hole in the ground. When the tiger came near, he again played and sang his little song. Tango tita, tango tita, the tiger's bones are in my guitar. The tiger put his paw into the hole and cut the monkey's leg. Oh, Mr. Tiger, said the monkey, you think that you have cut my leg, but what you really have is just a little stick. Oh, ho, ho. Then the tiger let go of the monkey's leg. The monkey crawled further back into the hole in the ground where the tiger's paw could not reach him. Then he said, Thank you so much, Mr. Tiger, for letting go of my leg. It really was my leg, you know. Again he played and sang his little song. Tango tita, tango tita, the tiger's bones are in my guitar. The tiger was angrier than ever. He waited and waited for the monkey to come out of the hole in the ground, but the monkey did not come. He had discovered another way out, and once more from the high treetops, he sang down to the waiting tiger. Tango tita, tango tita, the tiger's bones are in my guitar. There had been a great drought in the land, and there was only one watering place where the beasts could drink. The tiger knew that the monkey would have to go there when he was thirsty, so he decided to wait for him and catch him when he came to drink. When the monkey went to the watering place to get a drink, he found the tiger there waiting for him. He ran away as fast as the wind, for he was really very much afraid of the tiger. 
He waited and waited until he thought he should die of thirst. But the tiger did not go away from the watering place for a single minute. At last, the monkey thought of a trick by which he would be able to get a drink. He lay down by the side of the pathway as if he were dead. After a while, an old woman came along the path, carrying a dish of honey in a basket upon her head. She saw the monkey lying there by the path and. Thinking he was dead, she picked him up and put him into the basket with the dish of honey. When the monkey saw that it was honey in the dish, he was very happy. He opened the dish and covered himself all over with the soft, sticky honey. Then, as the old woman walked under the trees, he lightly sprang out of the basket into the trees. The old woman did not miss him until she got home and found only part of her dish of honey in the basket. Why, I thought I had brought home a dead monkey in my basket, she said to her children. Now there is no monkey here, and my dish is only half full of honey. The monkey must have been playing one of his tricks. The monkey had, in the meantime, stuck leaves from the trees into the honey all over his body. So that he was completely disguised. His own mother would never have recognized him. He looked something like a porcupine, but instead of sharp quills, there were green leaves sticking out all over him. In this fashion, he went to the drinking place, and the tiger did not recognize him. He took a long, deep drink. He was so thirsty, and the water tasted so good that he stayed in the drinking place too long. The leaves came out of the honey which had held them, and the tiger saw that it was really the monkey. The monkey was barely able to escape. He was so badly frightened that he waited and waited a long, long time before he again went to the drinking place. At last, he got so thirsty that he couldn't wait any longer. He went to the resin tree and covered himself with the resin. Then he stuck leaves into the resin and again went to the drinking place. The tiger saw him, but as the tiger expected to see the leaves come off just as soon as the monkey got into the water, he thought he would wait and catch him in his bare skin. But this time the leaves did not come off, for the resin held them fast and was not in the least affected by the water. The tiger then thought that it was not the monkey and that he must have made a mistake. The monkey drank all he wished and then strolled away leisurely without the tiger attacking him. He used the resin and leaves every time he wanted a drink after that. 
he kept up the trick until the rainy season arrived and he could find plenty of water in other places than the big drinking place. Let's take a journey with Father Grumbler. Once upon a time, there lived a man who had nearly as many children as there were sparrows in the garden. He had to work very hard all day to get them enough to eat and was often tired and cross at everything and everybody, so much so that people called him Father Grumbler. By and by he grew weary of always working and on Sundays he lay a long while in bed instead of going to church. Then after a time he found it dull to sit so many hours by himself thinking of nothing but how to pay the rent that was owing and as the tavern across the road looked bright and cheerful he walked in one day and sat down with his friends. But when he left and went back to his house He felt more dismal than when he left it, for he knew that he had wasted both his time and his money. I will go and see the holy man in the cave near the well, he said to himself, and perhaps he can tell me why all the luck is for other people, and only misfortunes happen to me. And he set out at once for the cave. It was a long way off, and the road led over mountains and through valleys. But at last he reached the cave where the holy man dwelt, and he knocked at the door. Who is there? asked a voice from within. It is I, holy man, Father Grumbler, you know, who has as many children as sparrows in the garden. Well, and what is it that you want? I want to know why other people have all the luck, and only misfortunes happen to me. The holy man did not answer, but went into an inner cave from which he came out bearing something in his hand. Do you see this basket? said he. It is a magical basket, and if you are hungry, you have only got to say, Little basket, little basket, do your duty, and you will eat the best dinner you ever had in your life. But when you have had enough, be sure you don't forget to cry out, That will do for today. Oh, and one more thing. You need not show it to everybody and declare that I have given it to you. Do you understand? Father Grumbler was always accustomed to think of himself as so unlucky that he did not know whether the holy man was not playing a trick upon him. But he took the basket without being polite enough to say either thank you or good morning and went away. However, he only waited till he was out of sight of the cave before he stooped down and whispered, Little basket, little basket, do your duty. Now, the basket had a lid so that he could not see what was inside, 
but he heard quite clearly strange noises, as if a sort of scuffling was going on. Then the lid burst open, and a quantity of delicious little white rolls came tumbling out one after the other, followed by a stream of small fishes already cooked. What a quantity there were, to be sure. The whole road was covered with them, and the banks on each side were beginning to disappear. Father Grumbler felt quite frightened at the torrent, but at last he remembered what the holy man had told him, and he cried at the top of his voice, Enough, enough, that will do for today. And the lid of the basket closed with a snap. Father Grumbler sighed with relief and happiness as he looked around him, and sitting down on a heap of stones, he ate till he could eat no more. Trout, salmon, turbot, soles, and a hundred other fishes, whose names he did not know, lay boiled, fried, and grilled within reach of his hands. As the holy man had said, he had never eaten such a dinner. Still, when he had done, he shook his head and grumbled. Yes, there's plenty to eat, of course, but it only makes me thirsty and there's not a drop to drink anywhere. Yet somehow, he could never tell why, he looked up and saw the tavern in front of him, which he thought was miles and miles and miles away. Bring the best wine you've got and two glasses, good mother, he said as he entered. And if you're fond of fish, there's enough here to feed the house. Only there is no need to chatter about it all over the place. You understand, eh? And without waiting for an answer, he whispered to the basket, Little basket, little basket, do your duty. The innkeeper and his wife thought that their customer had gone suddenly mad and watched him closely, ready to spring on him if he became violent. But both instinctively jumped backwards nearly into the fire as rolls and fishes of every kind came tumbling out of the basket, covering the tables and chairs on the floor and even overflowing into the street. Be quick, be quick and pick them up, cried the man. And if these are not enough, there are plenty more to be had for the asking. The innkeeper and his wife did not need telling twice. Down they went on their knees and gathered up everything they could lay hands on. But, busy though they seemed, they found time to whisper to each other, If we can only get hold of that basket, it will make our fortune. So they began by inviting Father Grumbler to sit down to the table and brought out the best wine in the cellar, hoping it might loosen his tongue. But Father Grumbler was wiser than they gave him credit for, and though they tried in all manner of ways to find out who had given him the basket, he put them off and kept his secret to himself. However, though he did not speak, the wine and the food made him drowsy, and it was not long till he fell fast asleep. Then the woman fetched from her kitchen a basket so like the magic one that no one without looking very closely could tell the difference, and she placed it in Father Grumbler's hand while she hid the other basket carefully away. It was dinner time when the man awoke, and jumping up hastily he set out for home, where he found all the children gather round a basin of thin soup and pushing their wooden bowls forward, hoping to have the first spoonful. 
their father burst into the midst of them, bearing his basket and crying, Don't spoil your appetites, children, with that stuff. Do you see this basket? Well, I've only got to say, little basket, little basket, do your duty, and you will see what will happen. Now you shall see it instead of me for a treat. The children, wondering and delighted, repeated the words, but nothing happened. Again and again they tried, but the basket was only a basket, with a few scales of fish sticking to the bottom, for the innkeeper's wife had taken it to the market the day before. What is the matter with the thing? cried the father, at last, snatching the basket from them and turning it all over, grumbling and swearing while he did so, under the eyes of his astonished wife and children, who did not know whether to cry or to laugh. It certainly smells of fish, he said, and then he stopped, for a sudden thought had come to him. Suppose it is not mine at all. Supposing <gasps> the scoundrels! And without listening to his wife and children, who were frightened at his strange conduct and begged him to stay at home, he ran across to the tavern and burst open the door. Can I do anything for you? Father Grumbler asked the innkeeper's wife in her softest voice. I have taken the wrong basket, by mistake, of course, said he. Here is yours. Will you give me back my own? Why, what are you talking about? answered she. You can see for yourself that there is no basket here. And though Father Grumbler did look, it was quite true that none was to be seen. Come, take a glass to warm you this cold day, said the woman, who was anxious to keep him in a good temper, but... Father Grumbler turned and stamped out into the street. He took the road that led to the holy man's cave and made such haste that it was not long before he reached it. Who is there? said a voice in answer to his knock. It is me, it is me, holy man. You know quite well, Father Grumbler, who has as many children as sparrows in the garden. But, my good man, it was only yesterday that I gave you... A handsome present. Yes, holy man, and here it is. But something has happened. I don't know what, and it won't work any more. Well, put it down. I will go and see if I can find anything for you. In a few minutes, the holy man returned with a cockerel under his arm. Listen to me, he said. Whenever you want money, you only have to say, Show me what you can do, cockerel and you will see some wonderful things. But remember, it is not necessary to let all the world into the secret. Oh, no, holy man, I'm not so foolish as that. Nor to tell everybody that I gave it to you, went on the holy man. I have not got these treasures by the dozen. And without waiting for an answer, he shut the door. As before... The distance seemed to have wonderfully shortened and in a moment the tavern rose up in front of Father Grumbler. Without stopping to think, he went straight in and found the innkeeper's wife in the kitchen, making a cake. Oh, where have you come from with that fine red cockerel in your basket? asked she, for the bird was so big that the lid would not shut down properly. 
Oh, I come from a place where they don't keep these things by the dozen, he replied, sitting down in front of the table. The woman said no more, but set before him a bottle of his favourite wine, and soon he began to wish to display his prize. Show me what you can do, cockerel, cried he, and the cockerel stood up and flapped his wings three times, crowing with a voice like a trumpet. And at each crow there fell from his beak golden drops and diamonds as large as peas. This time Father Grumbler did not invite the innkeeper's wife to pick up his treasures, but put his own hat under the cockerel's beak so as to catch everything he let fall. And he did not see the husband and wife exchanging glances with each other, which said, That would be a splendid cockerel to put with our basket. Have another glass of wine, suggested the innkeeper, when they had finished admiring the beauty of the bird, for they pretended not to have seen the gold or the diamonds. And soon enough, yet again, the fine wine and heavy food made the man drowsy, and his head fell forward on the table, and once more he was sound asleep. Then the woman gently coaxed the cockerel from the basket and carried it off to her own poultry yard, from which she brought one exactly like it and popped it in its place. Night was falling when the man awoke, and throwing proudly some grains of gold on the table to pay for his meal and drink, he tucked the bird comfortably into his basket and set out for home. His wife and all the children were waiting for him at the door, and as soon as she caught sight of him, she broke out, "'You're a nice man to go wasting your time and your money in that tavern "'and leaving us to starve. "'Aren't you ashamed of yourself?' "'You don't know what you're talking about,' he answered. "'Money? Why, I have golden diamonds now, as much as I want. "'Do you see that, Cockerel? "'Well, you have only to say to him, "'Show me what you can do, Cockerel, "'and something splendid will happen.' "'Neither wife nor children were inclined to put much faith in him.' after their last experience. However, they thought it was worth trying and did as he told them. The cockerel flew round the room like a mad thing and crowed till their heads nearly split with a noise, but no gold or diamonds dropped on the brick floor, not the tiniest grain of either. Father Grumbler stared in silence for an instant, and then he began to mutter and grumble and groan so loudly that his family became alarmed. At last he grew a little quieter, but remained as puzzled as ever. Can I have forgotten the words? But I know that was what he said, and I saw the diamonds with my own eyes. And suddenly he seized the cockerel, shut it into the basket and rushed out of the house. His heavy wooden shoes clattered as he ran along the road and he made such haste that the stars were only just beginning to come out when he reached the cave of the holy man. Who is that knocking? asked a voice from within. It is me, it is me, holy man, you know, father. But, my good fellow... You really should give someone else a chance. This is the third time you have been. 
and at such an hour too. Oh, yes, holy man, I know it is very late, but you will forgive me. It is your cockerel. There is something the matter. It is like the basket. Look. That my cockerel? That my basket? Somebody has played you a trick, my good man. A trick? repeated Father Grumbler, who began to understand what had happened. Then it must have been those two. I warned you not to show them to anybody, said the holy man. You deserve. But I will give you one more chance. And turning, he unhooked something from the wall. When you wish to dust your own jacket or those of your friends, he said, you have only got to say, Flack, flick, switch, be quick. And you will see what happens. That is all I have to tell you. And smiling to himself, the holy man pushed Father Grumbler out of the cave. I understand now, muttered the good man as he took the road home. But I think I've got you two rascals. And he hurried on to the tavern with his basket under his arm and the cockerel and the switch both inside. Good evening, friends he said as he entered the inn. I am very hungry and should be glad if you would roast this cockerel for me as soon as possible. This cockerel and no other mind what I say, he went on. Oh, and another thing. You can light the fire with this basket. When you have done that, I will show you something I have in my bag. And as he spoke, he tried to imitate the smile that the holy man had given him. These directions made the innkeeper's wife very uneasy. However, she said nothing and began to roast the cockerel while her husband did his best to make the man sleepy with wine, but all in vain. After dinner, which she did not eat without grumbling, for the cockerel was very tough, the man struck his hand on the table and said, Now listen to me. Go and fetch my cockerel and my basket at once, do you hear? Your cockerel and your basket, Father Grumbler, but you have just my cockerel and my basket, interrupted he. And if you are too deaf and too stupid to understand what that means, I have got something which may help to teach you. And opening the bag, he cried, Flack, flick, switch, be quick. And flack, flick, like lightning, a white switch sprang out of the bag and gave such hearty blows to the innkeeper and his wife and to Father Grumbler into the bargain that they all jumped as high as feathers when a mattress is shaken. Stop, stop, make it stop and you shall have back your cockerel basket, cried the man and his wife. And Father Grumbler, who had no wish to go on, called out between his hops, Stop then, can't you? That is enough for today. But the switch paid no attention and dealt out its blows as before and might have been dealing with them to this day if the holy man had not heard their cries and come to the rescue. Into the bag, quick, said he. And the switch obeyed. 
Now go and fetch me the cockerel and the basket. And the woman went without a word and placed them on the table. You have all got what you deserved, continued the holy man. And I have no pity for any of you. I shall take my treasures home. And perhaps some day I may find a man who knows how to make the best of the chances that are given to him. But that will never be you, he added, turning to Father Grumbler. Now, let's take a journey with The Angel's Gift, an old folktale from Russia. Once upon a time, a poor man had so many children that he didn't know what to do. He always worried about how he was going to feed and clothe them, and every night he begged the good Lord to help him. One night, as he was sleeping, an angel came to him and whispered in his ear. When you awake, put your hand beneath your pillow. There you will find three things. Hide them in your shirt and go out into the woods. There you will find a stream. You must follow it until you come a beautiful maiden bathing in the waters. She will speak to you, but you must not answer. She will ask you to comb her hair, and this you must do. And while you are combing her hair, you will see one hair that is red and coarse. Pluck that hair from her head and run as fast as you can. She will chase you. As you run, drop the three things you find. The embroidered scarf, the red handkerchief, and the mirror. When you reach the hill near your village, you will be safe. Take good care of that single hair, for it will make you rich. When the man woke and put his hand under his pillow, sure enough he found an embroidered scarf, a red handkerchief and a mirror. He carefully hid them under his shirt and set off for the woods. When he came to a stream he followed it. Before long he found a beautiful maiden bathing. Good day, she said. But the poor man remembered the angel's warning and did not say a word. The maiden held out a golden comb. Please, will you comb my hair? she asked. Still silent, the man took the comb, parted the maiden's long golden hair 
and searched until he found one red horse hair. He twisted it around his finger, pulled it out and ran. The maiden wrapped a large scarf around herself and gave chase, but just as she was about to overtake him, he dropped the embroidered scarf. It was so beautiful that she could not help herself. She stopped and stared at it for a while, and this gave the man time to race ahead. When she noticed how far away he was, she began to run again. She ran like the wind, and soon she was close again. But this time, the man dropped the red handkerchief. Seeing the flash of crimson, the maiden stopped and bent down to pick it up. So enchanted by its beauty was she that she stood and stared at it for a long time while the man raced ahead. But when the maiden finally looked up and saw the man was far in front of her, she tossed away the handkerchief and ran faster than ever. She ran as fast as a deer and was soon nearly upon him. At once, the man dropped the mirror. Now, the maiden was rather vain and never missed a chance to gaze upon her own reflection. And so she picked up the mirror peered into it for so long that the man was able to reach the hill just beyond the town where he lived with the precious hair wrapped around his finger. When he entered the market, he offered the hair to the first merchant he saw. I'll give you a gold coin, the merchant said. The other merchants overheard him and they knew this man to be wise and careful so they thought the hare must be worth far more, and they began to shout out bids. I'll give you two. I'll give you ten. I'll give you fifty. A hundred. Finally, one cried, A thousand gold coins. The poor man shook his head. That isn't enough, he said, and this convinced the other merchants that this hare must truly be worth a fortune. It must be magic, they whispered, and everyone began to get excited about the magic hair. Every merchant from every town began to bid. Hearing of the bidding war, others came too, and soon no one talked of anything but the magical red hair. Some people said... Whoever owned the hair would be stronger than anyone in the world. Others said its owner would possess more wisdom than anyone else. And still others said the hair brought good health and great fortune to its owner. Before long, stories of the red hair reached the Tsar, and the Tsar decided he must have this hair. He offered a hundred bags of golden coins. When the man received this offer, he accepted it, and the hair was sold to the Tsar, and the poor man and his family lived happily ever after. The Tsar presented the hair to his wise men. They stared at it, and whispered, and wondered at it. And at last, 
they split it open and found inside a scroll. The wisest men studied the inscription inside that scroll and they discovered all the secrets of the world. It was these secrets that helped humankind for thousands of years. That is why the angels say that if you save one human being, you save the world. Because this angel saved one man and in doing so, helped to make the world a better place. Let's take a journey with this beautiful tale from India, the King of Compassion. Long, long ago in the land of India, there was a great king who ruled his people with generosity and kindness. He showed compassion for everything for all the birds and animals, and for every person, young and old. He also honoured the gods. So good was the king that every living creature from far and near came to his palace to seek his protection and advice. He smiled upon everyone who came and never turned anyone away. The gods in the heavens watched the king day and night. They spoke of him often, amazed by his goodness. I wonder, said Indra, if we ought to test the king to see how far his goodness spreads. Yes, said Dharma. That would be wise. It is difficult to believe that he is as good as he seems. The two gods formed a clan. Indra turned himself into a large black hawk. Dharma took the shape of a white dove. Let us begin, said Indra the hawk, and Dharma the dove began to fly toward the palace. Indra gave chase. On they flew through the bright autumn sky, the hawk chasing the dove. The people down below looked up to see the defenceless dove flying as fast as he could, the fierce hawk close upon him. Fly to the king, the people shouted to the dove. Heeding their words, Dharma flew straight toward the palace and flew inside an open window directly to the room 
where the king himself sat holding counsel with his advisors. The dove landed in the compassionate king's arms and nestled there, shivering with fear. A moment later, the great hawk flew through the window and alighted on the table before the king. King, said the hawk, that bird you hold in your arms is my natural prey. Surely you know that. I am starving, and if I do not have a meal, I will die. You, good king, would not wish to be responsible for my death. I am a spirited creature, and my presence on this earth was ordained by the gods. I know you do not want to disobey the gods and see me die of starvation. Give me that dove, and I will be forever grateful to you. The king looked into the hawk's dark eyes and felt compassion for the bird. Then he looked down at the dove and stroked its white feathers. Save me, good king, whispered the dove. I have come to you for help. My family will not survive without me. The king looked into the hawk's eyes once more and said, I cannot give you the dove who has come to me for protection. To save your life, I grant you any other food you wish to eat. I will give you all that is equal to this dove. The hawk stood tall and proud. Very well, king, the hawk said. I choose your flesh. Nothing less will satisfy my deep hunger. Very well, said the king without a moment's hesitation, and he stood and called to his servants, Bring a scale. The servants, who loved their king, began to murmur among themselves, but they obeyed his wish and brought him a large silver scale. The king placed the dove on one side of the scale, then took up a sharp knife, and cut a piece of flesh from his own body and placed this on the other side. The scale did not move. He cut another piece and still the scale did not budge. He cut again, but the more flesh he placed on the scale, the heavier the dove seemed to become. At last, the king stepped onto the scale. Only when he stood tall upon one side did the scale balance. You will have to eat me whole, the king said to the hawk. It seems my weight is equal to the dove. Just at that moment, a voice spoke from the heavens. Well done, king. The scale is balanced. Take me then, good hawk said the king. His servants and advisers gasped in horror. King, you must not give up your life for a mere white dove. I will not break my promise, said the king. The hawk and the dove looked into each other's eyes, and at that moment they abandoned their disguises 
and stood before the noble king in their true forms as the great gods Indra and Dharma. You are indeed as good as you are here, they said, and with these words they restored his injured body, gave him their blessings, and disappeared, promising always to watch over the compassionate king. I hope you enjoyed all of our stories for this month. And if you subscribe to our Patreon page, you can enjoy even more perks and resources. Here's to stories aplenty that fill our hearts with grace and goodness, hope and light, so that we remember, as my favourite poet says, All shall be well, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Be well, my friends, be well, and join me next time for Journey with Story. Music and post-production was by Colette Jonas.